Hello, and welcome to another episode of the VoiceOver Insider Podcast. Joining me today is Don Barnes, a voiceover technical guru closely tied to a piece of software being used by more and more voiceover talent, the Isotope product, RX. Don, welcome to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast. Oh, thank you, Gary. Nice to be here. Well, I've really been looking forward to this. I know we've had a couple of scheduling issues, but I'm glad to be up with you. Yeah, glad. How, and, and things are good in your area? <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> it's a little cold, a little snowy, but it's that time of year. Yeah. Now, before we get to your work with the Isotope products, let's talk for a moment about your own voiceover work. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, I read that your entire family is involved in voice work. Is that right? Yeah, we're we're pretty obnoxious about it. Um, matter of fact, I'm the absolute worst voiceover talent, quote unquote. I don't even consider myself talent, but I, I'm the worst voiceover artist in our family. Uh, but just for perspective and bragging, my wife's done maybe six thousand voiceovers oh, and uh, over seventy audiobooks. But then my adult son, who got us involved with this originally, he's been a sports broadcaster for. We're, we're looking about 10 years now, uh, including things like Major League Baseball, spring training, and uh, I could just, I, way too many credits to go through. But over the years today, he's done over 11,000 voiceovers, and originally he started it because of his sports broadcasting career. And then he knew his mom had a theater background and that I had a long technical background in recording. And he just kind of thought, oh, you know, mom could record audiobooks and dad could produce. And uh, he got us involved, and, you know, that was the start of it. But, yeah, so in the family right now, 15,000 voiceovers. That's great. And uh, so that just means that I've gone through and and processed 20,000 files just in my family, although my adult son, he does all his own these days. But in the early stages, the first 1,000 I did for him, and I've done a bunch of things to set him up for baseball broadcasting, going to the Major League Baseball site, putting, setting up the tech stuff there. And I did all my wife's up until recently when my son said, hey, you know, Dad could die. Well, he was nicer <laughs> about it than that. But basically, he kind of just said, uh, statistically, men die before women. And, Mom, you really should know something about this. And prior to that, she just wasn't interested in, in learning anything about it. But today, she's pretty darn good. She can do 100% of her audio on her own. Um, but I still do, you know, 95% of her stuff, but she can do it. It's pretty incredible. Anyway, so yeah, we've been doing this a while. So you actually got your start in audio in music production, right? Yeah, well, I was a young musician in uh, 17, 18, and in, in Michigan, where I lived in the Detroit area, Motown had moved to L.A., and they had a recording school, and I was playing music and wanted to be a session player, and I wanted to learn what happened for the engineering side of it. So I went to recording school, and uh, I was the one of the most obnoxious, but, you know, young students, but I was really, really into it. And I got hired by the studio, and then uh, I ended up working with a gentleman and learned how to cut master records and sitting next to people who had tremendous ears. And I didn't understand most of what they were doing at that time, but they gave me a foundation for listening that uh, served me really, really well over my whole lifetime. Okay. So, with that as background, let's talk about Isotope's line of RX products. I've personally thought of RX as Photoshop for audiophiles. If any listeners are familiar with using Adobe's Photoshop program to clean dust off of scans or images from a digital camera, is that a fair comparison? Yeah, it's a great comparison. Uh, matter of fact, the, the chief uh, architect at Isotope 
actually has a photography background. And if you drill down into some of his originals, uh, kind of how he got to be such a guru in processing, the guy who wrote the denoiser uh, teaches at a Russian university advanced mathematics and how to clean up photos and a lot of the inspiration that you find inside RX, what, from the story he tells me, some of his insights came from actually working with uh, photography and how, but there he could see things and then he started working with it with audio. So it does have internally, some of the things he came up with were because he also be, had become an expert in, in cleaning up digital photography and the noise within photos and then eventually morphed over into audio. So yeah. You have a great, great point of view. Interesting. Well, that must be where I came up with the idea that it's Photoshop for audio. It's baked into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I also think the mathematics, uh, there, there are some wave mathematics that are highly complicated. And prior to somebody like him, everyone was trying to do it with their ears only. He was smart enough to, to put two and two together to figure out that, you know what, he could see how certain things worked in a, in a, in a photograph, the same, and then he could transfer some of that to audio. And then he extended way beyond that. But, it, but as a starting point, he, it ends up being brilliant and a, and a great way to, to understand the wave mathematics behind the scene for something that you really can't see. I mean, anyway, so I, yeah, I was always impressed by how in that world you figure this out. And that's some of the inspiration for these products. Yeah. So where does RX fall in the workflow for cleaning audio files? Is this a plugin that you run while you're recording audio through your digital audio workstation or DAW? Or is this post-processing? Yeah, for me, I, I use it almost exclusively post-processing. Uh, there are some use cases where, where you would have it on the input side. In fact, these podcasts, there are times in podcasts here where some of the different software could have maybe uh, uh, the voice denoise running as we're talking right now to handle things that will happen over this this type of phone call. But when it comes to voiceover, uh, places where we have control over the studio and we know our own studio, usually it's going to be at the end, and I do it all in post-production. Okay, so this is mostly a standalone product that is better run as a post-production step once you've got your recording laid down. Well, first off, I've seen people succeed on many, many paths, so you can get great success, but some of it depends on what you start with. Assuming a decent room and a decent recording environment, then I prefer to run it afterward where I can tune it and find details and make sure that I'm not under the pressure of getting it all right in advance. And to be honest with you, there's a bunch of things uh, after you do tens of thousands of files, I could bake it all in right at the beginning and still be darn close. But it's just easier, less stress to run it all at the end. And I, so I prefer that. And then furthermore, if you're running it at the beginning, there's some, some things that happen with compressors and other dynamic processing that I'd rather run RX after all those tools are run because it just works better ultimately. Interesting. So you run your EQ and compression steps first before you use RX. Correct. Correct. And some people occasionally, it's, it's interesting, I, I watch all these discussions and people have their theories as to what's best. And, uh, and I'm not, you know, first off, I have tremendous experience and I'm always learning about it. And I'm always finding somebody is doing something backwards from the way I'm doing it. And I'll, and I'll go evaluate it. And 
and then very often find a use case for the way they're doing it. So there's not one way. But when you do tens of thousands of files over time, I guarantee that that in the 80-20 rule, 80% of the time, yeah, you're better off doing the, the, the cleanup after you've done compression and EQ and some of the other steps you go through to massage it and get it at the volume level you want. Because if you do your processing in RX first, and then you run a compressor, the compressor can bring up things that you wouldn't have heard before. Therefore, uh-oh, I need to take out that. So there could be a mouth. So let's talk specifics. Let's talk, if I have a mouth click, uh, it may be buried within the word. And after the compressor runs, it may be more prominent. So because of that, I prefer to run RX afterwards. So it's running against the audio that I'm going to put out to my client. Interesting. And that way I can guarantee it's either getting it or it's not, but it's it's something that if I were to do that early in the process, what will happen is RX still might get 70%. It might get 75, 80. It may get enough that it gets that one. So there's this trade-off, uh, and I have seen people do it the other way, and because maybe they have a real low low mouth noise situation. Maybe they the how they're doing uh, their environmental noise it's so low because of their booth that they could do it backwards upside down and still get great audio. So there is not only one way. I don't want anyone out there to think, Oh, Don's got the only way. No, I have my preferred methods based on a lot of experience, but I've seen some things in some booths where I thought, Oh yeah, I could do that either way and it will come out great. But I can tell you categorically after working with thousands of people, it's better overall to do it after you've done all your dynamics processing, which I'll call EQ compression, limiting, Things like that. Well, I'm going to give that process a try on my next audio book. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean your all audio was bad, okay? (laughs) Because of your recording space and your delivery, you could get some great results, but consistently better, consistently uh, cleaner by doing it afterward. Okay. Okay? (laughs) When I first started using RX, I think it was back on version 3 maybe, I opened it and found a bewildering series of tools with names like D-Click, Spectral Repair, and DS. And within each tool are a variety of settings. It can appear to have a pretty steep learning curve. But something I learned through a video series, RX Jumpstart, that you produced with your son, is that in most voiceover applications, you really only need to use about five of those tools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally accurate. First off, most people, uh, the RX toolkit is extensive, and originally a lot of the target audience for RX was people that were filming and filming, but filming movies, filming TV, filming you know video-related things. Today it's all digital, but back when it started 10 years ago, there was still a lot of film going on, but or video, uh, but digital recordings, and therefore they have to deal with uh, filming outdoors, for example, and or filming on different sets and different all sorts of things. So the toolkit is pretty extensive. And yeah, in voiceover, there are a lot of times where I'm using four tools, uh, five tools, four or five are pretty much what almost, almost, almost all voiceover could be going through without any harm and actually doing some very good things. Beyond that, uh, usually it's because they have other circumstances that are needed. So there's a core set of five that I really, really like and use on almost everything. And then everything else is based on the specific audio. Okay. Now, one of the tools in RX, mouth to click, 
I understand mm-hmm. you actually had a role in its development. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a little obnoxious about that. I'm, I'm considered the grandfather of the multi-clicker, and that's just because I consider myself complainer-in-chief. Uh, I, have, I went to Isotope, and I happened to meet the guy who had written the denoisers and the declickers. I posted a question in a forum one time, and some guy was kind of, he was not obnoxious, but he gave a very short answer to a question, and I asked it, and he answered it, and I thought to myself, how can this guy know this? I've read every single thing. I've watched every video I could. This was RX3, by the way. And then this guy answered a question with such authority. I, I actually challenged him uh, on the side, and I said, hey, you know, I appreciate your answer. It sounds right to me. How do you know it? Well, then he explained to me, well, yeah, I wrote the declickers. I wrote the denoisers. And I, so we, had a, we started a little friendship there. And, that, and at one point, I was having problems with my wife's uh, mouth noise. And so I went and sent them a whole bunch of samples of, look, with the declicker. If I do four to five passes, I can make great progress with this. But why in the world can't, I mean, can't you guys do that on, it seems like you're missing some stuff in the mouth noise here. And he looked at it and said, yeah, actually, it's just because we never, we, we designed it for vinyl originally. We weren't targeting mouth noise. And what happened was it happened to work for maybe 60% of the voices out there and especially worked well on male voices. The original declickers you could make if you jump through a bunch of hoops, male voices sound really good in terms of the declickers. So my wife's voice, because I sent it in and that was the original voice they used, I always consider her like maybe, I probably shouldn't say this, but kind of like, she's patient zero. <laughs> if, if, if this was a disease, if mouth noise was a disease, she's the, the catalyst for the tool. And he literally started with her voice and figured out what he needed to. And then he expanded beyond that. and some of my voice, and then after that went into hundreds and then thousands of voices being tested against it. But literally, I get to look at my wife and go, yeah, you're patient zero, okay? <laughs> so does that make her the grandmother of Mount click? Yeah, well, she really probably wouldn't like that title much, but uh, in some ways, yes, <laughs> that's true. I didn't think of that. I'm not going to say it while I'm standing within a foot of her because I'll get smacked in the Alrighty. head. <laughs> Deservedly so. What would you say are the primary differences between the way mouth declick and the original declick operate? Do they act on different frequencies within the file? Yeah, they figured out that, well, there's just different characteristics. Um, It's kind of like today, people who cook a lot, now it's come to light. I mean, when when I was a young guy, we had salt. Oh, I've heard of it. And there was one kind of salt. You It came in this... Yes, you've heard of salt. Well, there's like that Morton's or whatever. It right, flows right. through the rain or something. It comes in that little blue can- thing, okay? Most of us that are over 40 remember that. Well, today there's pink salt and there's blue salt and there's purple salt and there's salt from different parts of the world. And what somebody figured out eventually was there isn't one salt. Salt that's in different parts of the world has a different mineral content in addition to just the salt and therefore a slightly different flavor profile. And that's kind of how the diff- that's that's really subtle. Salt is fairly subtle, but mouth the mouth clicks are not the same as vinyl clicks. And so the mouthy noiser was the first tool, and currently the only tool targeting mouth noise. And originally, internally, they were going to call it a mouthy noiser, but they ended up already having two denoisers in the product, and they could not, in good conscience, hey, say, oh, here's the third 
denoiser. So they ended up calling it a mouth declicker, uh, but it really is a mouth denoiser because it does deal with lip smacks and things that are coming out of somebody speaking. And plus, when they have the point of view, uh, the declickers are generic. Their original classic declickers are somewhat generic, assuming they're working on vinyl restoration. And therefore, they have to handle all sorts of music and voice and a lot of things. These they knew were specific to voice. And they could only, they only needed to test against voice, male and female. And that's a big enough universe as it is. The original The Clickers had to deal with symphony orchestras versus rock and roll versus whatever, all genres of music all, and voice. Or, but they never tested the original The Clickers against voice. So they ended up with a specialty product, and all they tested against was dialogue. <laughs> More than you wanted to know about it, I know, but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here taking notes as fast as I can. We mentioned earlier that there are a lot of settings in the RX tools. Mm-hmm. Something I see fairly often in some of the online forums is people making recommendations of settings for the various RX tools to others who are just learning the program. Right. And while some starting points might be valuable, right. it seems to me that this is a tool that really needs to be dialed into an individual setup their room, their mic position, their audio chain, the way the individual speaks and generates the noise that is going to need to be cleaned up. Right. What's your stance on sharing recommendations for settings? Well, I yeah, I get a little frustrated and uh, I shake my head sometimes where I see these things where, uh, so you go, all right, I'm new to RX. Can anybody give me their settings so that I can go ahead and do it? And I think a little bit like, Okay, well, um, how about asking some random guy for, can I borrow your shoes? And it's like, sure, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe, that would be, that'd be my answer is maybe. I mean, but, but pretend you had a brother, uh, uh, more like a cousin, and, and if they're the same size as you, uh, then th- that shoe could fit perfectly. Uh, odds of it fitting, though, even with cousins, are, are not high. And there are some tools that, that you could use between different people, and they will turn out great. There are a lot of tools that even the starting point is totally wrong for my voice. And, there are, and then to further break it down the third level, there are a set of tools that are very sensitive to how much input you have at the start. So the declicker, for example, if my audio is very quiet... And then, and I have some settings, and then I give it to you, and your audio is at a much higher level. Forget whether mine is cleaner or dirtier than yours to begin with. But the tool will work very differently on your audio when it starts at, at, say, it's much louder by 6 dB. Uh, It's going to just have a totally different result than, or not do anything at all. So that's, and then then the real kicker that kind of makes it interesting is that, as people are tuning them, let's say I start with your settings. I still need to have some ears to hear the results of what it's doing. And I, and I feel bad, but I've spent, I've, since the time I've been about 18, I had a guy sitting next to me when I was learning to cut master records that he said that he made one comment to me that stuck with me. He made a lot of comments and I learned some things over the years, but one that he said was, hey, listen to those backup vocals right there. And he said, see, all, all, every time there's backup vocals, they all start the same. One of the marks of a good team, that's when you have three to five singers singing backup, is that they will all not only start together, but they will stop together. Mm. 
And I remember shaking my head and going, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Play that again. I don't hear it. And he'd yeah. So he'd cycle back. And during that session, I didn't hear what he was talking about. But over time, I'm listening to little details like that that he had. And I started to hear vocals where people would start at the first together. They would start a note together. And then I would hear them end all cleanly together or a little off on each other. Hmm. And that kind of hearing takes people years to hear. And a perfect example would be, have you listened to any book that you recorded four or five years ago? Yeah, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all like that. And but So you're normal, but here's the funny thing. I'll bet it was pretty darn good. But now your standards, both what you hear and what you know about acting, so you have two things, both your technical and your performance aspects have improved over the last... 50 books you've done, and therefore you're listening with a totally different set of ears right now than you were back at the beginning. Sure. And we get people, unfortunately, so what they're hearing right now, if they're at the beginning of the journey, and then they're borrowing somebody else's shoes, which may or may not fit them, and then they're going, wow, do I look great? I mean, it's like, well, yeah, those shoes look great on you, but do they fit? And then they're, they get, you know, corns or whatever you get if the shoes don't fit. <laughs> Way over my pay grade. <laughs> the point being, it is important to have both the technical experience to tune them in and then to, to be listening to the results of them. And it isn't the, the you know, I think there's 25 tools in RX. In standard, I think there's, I don't, you know what? I don't really know the number in standard. I'm just thinking at the top of my head. But there's at least 15 tools in standard, RX standard. And some of them I could give you my settings and you'd be pretty, you'd do fine with. But the ones we're using in voiceover, uh, the, the denoisers and even the declickers, uh, starting with my settings, if your audio doesn't start at a similar level, Good luck. Huh. And I just see a lot of things that just do nothing. Like they'll give somebody else their settings and I think, whoa, that is never going to do anything. But your audio must be really loud. And therefore, on average audio, it's not going to do anything because they would have to have their audio boosted up to a certain level. And that's just not going to work. So the biggest problem we have is that people mean well. Nobody's giving away any of these things or not giving them away out of spite. They're actually trying to be helpful. Right. It's unfortunate that sometimes it's like, all right, how much salt do I put in my soup? Uh, well, it kind of depends on how much salt is already in your soup and what's the ingredients. And a teaspoon might be great, but if you're doing a gallon of soup, it's not enough. If you're doing just a little one bowl of soup, it might be too much. So you have different starting points and then you have different hearing, which makes it kind of complicated. And people are irritated with me occasionally because I won't just give them my settings. It's like, uh, well, if I could, I would. I give away tons of stuff. So that's not, not, for, uh, not for lack of trying. It's a awareness of what works and what doesn't. Sure. Earlier, I mentioned your course, RX Jumpstart. And I've got to say, even though I've been using RX for several years, I learned a ton, especially in regards to setting up a workflow with repeatable chains of actions. How would a listener find out more about the RX Jumpstart course? Yeah, well, we're pretty stealth about it. We have uh, rxjumpstart.com, and we, uh, we have a new site going up at, that by the time this podcast is live called vojumpstart.com. But uh, rxjumpstart is the place to start for that, or vojumpstart.com. All one word, no spaces. And, uh, yeah, we've, I'm, I'm happy to say I've helped a couple thousand people set up their uh, Rx chain, 
And what you were talking about was there's two things, depending on which version you have, but module chains and batch processes. And in both cases, they give you the ability to set up a series of steps. And like my wife, who's a brilliant actress, who really is a is absolutely a killer in terms of voicing, her her whole knowledge of RX are really two tools. The batch processor uh, or module chains where she can press one button and it'll do a series of steps that have been pre-programmed for her. She doesn't do it. She didn't do it herself. I, I set all that up. But she can kick off something that'll do four or five steps for her automatically. Then the other tool she knows very well is spectral repair with the instant processing. And that just allows her to, if she has a mouth, uh, like a mouth click that got through or was extraneous over where we have the settings, she can go in and paint that out and it'll, it'll diminish it just a little bit and she can paint it once. It'll get it about 90% of the time. And then if she needs to, she knows how to paint it out like Photoshop. You, you just draw a little area and you let the tool do its job. And then uh, if she doesn't like it, she can undo. But most of the time, she just paints and moves on, listens, 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 finds something every so often. She'll paint something out and just make sure it's all good. So she only knows two tools. <laughs> she can press <laughs> one button, and then she can listen. Now, she does have an advantage in that uh, she started off as a singer, and she's got a theater degree. And between her singing degree and her, she's got great ears because of being a singer, so she knows good sound and good audio, and so that helped her. But she really literally only knows the two tools. She doesn't know how to set them, and she doesn't care. And most voiceover, I always, people go, well, I want to understand how a compressor works, or I want to understand how the denoiser works. And I kind of think, hey, I've driven over a million miles because I'm not young, all right? I've got, I literally have over a million miles on all my cars together over my lifetime of driving for the last uh, 40 years, we'll just call it. And I still don't know how the transmission works. I mean, I know the principles. I know a little bit about the transmission. But I do not know how the gears change inside a transmission while I'm going between 20 and 70 miles an hour. It's changing gears. I just let it do its job. I know how to drive the car. I'm, re I'm above average as a driver, I believe. I'm probably really <laughs> just average. But I still don't know how everything in the car works. And I don't really need to know... How does audio get to the speakers in the back of the car? I actually know there's a piece of wire there, but I don't know how the electricity runs from where, how they wired it. I don't need to know. So uh, point being, um, a lot of these tools, people do not need to know. And then if they want to know a lot, then that's cool. You can know, you can know a lot about it. And the courseware does not teach somebody every aspect of how RX works, but it does teach you how to set it up and how to get it to where you're in the zip code. And then of course, I always do a, a few minutes with everybody tuning it at the very end to make sure that they got it. And you know, I get to use my ears then, something that I've been training for the last 40 years. And I still do ear training. I still am listening every day to music and voiceover to make sure my ears continue to get better. I'm just always fascinated by that and love, love improving, so. There are a number of flavors, if you will, of Isotopes RX. There's the standard version, the advanced version, and then a starter version called RX Elements. Which version do you think is best suited to the voiceover artist? Yeah, almost 90% uh, will end up at RX Standard, probably 95% over time. Uh, RX Element is a great starting point. It has the voice denoise. And if your booth is really strong, it may be the only denoiser somebody needs. It can work. It's a, it's a killer tool. 
but, but it does have its limitations if somebody has air conditioning noise or uh, furnaces, uh, fans in the room, then the, the voice denoise is just, it's the little brother denoiser. And in some circumstances, it's awesome, but it's not as industrial grade as the spectral denoise. So Elements has a denoiser that's great and it has the classic declicker. And the only problem with it is, is the classic declicker is why I went to Isotope to get them to work on, you know, where the patient zero thing, uh, the classic declicker, you have to finesse the heck out of it in order to get it to actually do what we need for most voiceover artists. So it's a great starting point and it's, it's worth it. If you get it on sale, almost everybody should buy it on their way to standard simply because of the financial savings. You can save about a hundred bucks almost always by buying elements and then getting to standard. But standard is where we want to go. And then for whatever it's worth, there is an advanced version, which I have and have had for years, but it's designed for the person who needs to uh, deal with audio from other people. So if I, if you send me something, there may be something in your room that I needed to deal with that isn't in my room. And I, and I, having the extra tools can allow me to do some things that you can't do with standard. It has some very advanced tools that are just killer. Okay. Okay. So standards are ticket. Elements is a great way to get started and get people into it where they save a hundred dollars, but standards where everybody's going to end up with over time. It's the 95 percenter. And also the RX group. I mean, you, you know, I do have a Facebook group uh -huh. for RX. Um, and that group has almost 4,000 people and realize that a lot of the people aren't even in the group that are voiceover artists because they might have an editor uh, or they're sending it to somebody else and their editors all have it. So it's, uh, well, a crazy number of voiceover artists have it, but then if they send their audio to somebody else, that somebody else has RX almost guaranteed. I, I, haven't, met a, I haven't met a pro editor that doesn't have RX these days. It's just, it, it's kind of like if you're a chef, right. I guess you have all your own knives or right. something like right. that, because that's what you have to have. Right. Okay. <laughs> Isotope seems to add enhancements and come out with a new version about every two to three years. I think they're now on version eight. Correct. I'm personally using version six. Is there a need to upgrade to version seven or okay. eight? Are there new tools I need to know about? Not really. Not not really. Not if you're if you if the, if you're using the core tools, the core the core five tools, those have not changed significantly from into seven and into eight. There are some around the edges things. Eight is faster in a couple circumstances, and they are always tweaking the internals for things in terms of speed and performance and the latest operating system. Where you could get caught on six is if you went to Big Sur on the Mac, which is the latest, as of, the, as of us recording this, came out of the last couple of weeks, just to date us. Um, but so if somebody were on the latest version, it is possible six won't run on that version. I expect them to have both seven and eight certified for it. It's not as of this, our, our discussion today, but it will be over the next couple of months, both seven and eight, I expect them both to run just fine under Big Sur. So that for that reason, if you uh, there may be a version of Windows 10 someday, not here yet, that does require or would be appropriate for you to update because they need it because the operating systems are changing. But in terms of voiceover, nah, six is fine. Uh, if somebody's before that, run as fast as you can and get eight. Eight makes uh, it easier in terms of the processing. Hmm. They've combined 
uh, module chains with batch processing. And so if you have a module chain, you can instantly within two minutes turn it into a batch process without doing anything because now they're the same process. So there are some procedural things in the background. So somebody's just starting, of course, start with eight. If somebody's on six or higher and, they're, and they have standard, okay. then they're fine unless they start editing for other people and then that's a, a different animal. But I'm going to assume we're talking about people buying it for their own use. Now, if you have six, I probably wouldn't go to eight at this point. Right. Uh, they'll have nine someday, another couple of years, and we'll see what they have. I, I predict that by then there will be something else. And there are some around the edges things, but heck, save your money. You know, Go out for dinner. Well, great. You just saved me my Christmas shopping money. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's my job. Saving save, saving Christmas. That's Don's job. <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> okay. So, in addition to your RX Jumpstart course, you also offer one-on-one -on -one sessions with VO talent who would really like to dial in their processes with RX. Yeah. How does one take advantage of those services? Well, it is kind of funny. So people think I. Uh, there are a lot of people who put out videos on how to do stuff. Uh, I did over a thousand sessions with with individuals, doing it, you know, one one off, one at a time, before I ever put together the series on video that so where people could do it themselves. So be, I've been doing privates for the last six years and uh, just thousands and thousands of them. It's kind of crazy. So I do have a site, redbarnsaudio.com. And that's all one word. And the only thing that I have to get straight is that Barnes is spelled funny. Bravo Alpha Alpha, Roger, Nancy, Sam, two A's and no E. It should look like a typo when they get it right. But it's Red Barnes Audio, all one word, with the funny, funky spelling of Barnes, which we can blame my grandfather for. Okay. That's a whole other discussion <laughs> that we won't get into today. Okay. Well, Don Barnes, if that's the way you say it. Yes, Barnes. I, well, we say Barnes. I very much regret to say that we're out of time. All right. Thank you very much for joining us here on the VoiceOver Insider Podcast. I really appreciate your time, and I, I appreciate you having me on the show. And when I can help with something, then, you know, I'm on Facebook all the time. I admin about five or six groups. And uh, if somebody can get a hold of me, the only thing I don't answer to very often is smoke signals. Uh, that's still, <laughs> I miss it too often. But send me a message, find me on the site, find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, whatever. Look forward to talking to you, and you have a fantastic day. Thank you for having me on the show. Okay. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Don. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.